Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to welcome to Live with C-Sharp, Detroit's very own Regina Carter. She is the MacArthur Fellow, a Doris Duke Award recipient, the artistic director of the Jerry Allen Jazz Camp, which is going on right now. And also, she was the first African-American and jazz musician to perform on the Guarneri del Jesu violin. Ladies and gentlemen, Mrs. Regina Carter, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Cecilia. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for coming on the show. It's such an honor to have you on Live with C Sharp. You've accomplished so much and done amazing things. And people see that and they say, oh, my gosh, she's incredible. She's amazing. That girl, play that violin. (laughs) (laughs) But I really wanted to share the journey. What was your first introduction to music? How did you get started in music? Well, you know, my my mother, who was uh, a kindergarten teacher, her thing with my brothers, I have two older brothers. My brothers and I were like, you all are not going to be ripping and running up and down the streets. <laughs> you know, you're going to have something to do that's going to uh, in, in, enhance, your, enhance your life. So she really, her mother, my grandmother, Sarah, Sarah Vanduza McCaskill-Williamson, uh, graduated with a degree in piano pedagogy um, in 1915 from Morris Brown University. So that was huge, the fact that she was a woman, A, and that she was a black woman that graduated, you know, that actually went to college at during that time. And so, and she was a pianist. And so uh, I think the piano gene, the music gene skipped my mom, but my older brothers were taking piano lessons. And they, it was said that one day when they were having their lesson at the house, I walked up to the piano and started playing one of the pieces my one of my brothers had been working on. And the teacher said, well, who who taught her that? And they were like, no one. We didn't even know she could play. So she tested me and found that I had an ear and that I could play back what I, what I heard. And she recommended I take piano lessons. And, and so she recommended Anna Love. Um, who had um, our, our her- heritage house downtown Detroit, and um, I studied with Anna for a little while, but I was not interested in learning how to read. I would come in with that big green piece of paper that would learn how to write your letters with these big dinosaur-looking eggs, and I would say to her, "This is my song <laughs> I wrote." So, so Mrs. Love <laughs> didn't want me to lose my passion for music, so she told my mother, you know what, wait till she's a little older because I don't want to stifle her creativity. And then when I was four, Ms. Love called my mom and said, you know, uh, the Detroit Community Music School has a program they're starting, and it's called Suzuki for Strings. And I think it would be great for Regina because you learn to play by ear first. And my mom signed me up, and the rest is history. <laughs> What sparked your interest into jazz, and and how did that interest, that, that spark, fuel your journey? Well, you know, it's interesting. With my Suzuki teacher, when we were younger, uh, we would have uh, lesson once a week, and then on Saturdays we would have, um, you know, we might be in an orchestra. It'd just be a whole group of us on stage playing and learning and um but she would do these things like when we were a little 
in a group session where she would start to make up a song, and then when she tapped you on the shoulder, you had to pick up where she left off and continue. So it was building a story, improvisation, you know. So that was really, really beneficial. And then sometimes we would read, sight read Baroque quartets, which, you know, Baroque music, a lot of it was, there was space for improvisation. So I feel like she really, um, learning to play by ear and hearing, I I feel like it was really a positive experience for me. Well, what's funny, too, when I was in, uh, like, junior high and high, I was playing in a band with another violinist from Detroit, and she passed away a couple years ago, Karen Coleman. And we played in a band. It was a, what they called basement bands back then. But we would play gigs. It was uh, Maplewood was the name of the band, and we would play covers, uh, you know, that were popular tunes. Then and all the tunes at during that period, like the disco period, the string parts were incredible. You know, so it was fun to play. So we play these gigs, and and it, we weren't necessarily soloing, but but playing these, and then. Um, Carla Cook, wonderful vocalist, amazing jazz vocalist, or vocalist, period, also from Detroit. We met in high school in ninth grade, and she gave me records, uh, the John Luc Ponty, Noel Pointer, and Stephen Grappelli records. And that just, I was like, whoa, this is so killing. So I, lear- I was learning that. I was improvising. I, well, I was, I was transcribing. And that word, all these people say, transcribe, it sounds so deep. It's like it's the same way we learn how to speak, by imitating. So I was you know, learning the melodies, learning their solos, stand in the mirror and play along with the record. And one day I walked into a music store there in Detroit, uh, Wonderland Music, and uh, I was buying an amplifier for my electric violin. And this gentleman working in there, he goes, oh, I'm a musician and I play saxophone. So he goes, can you play? And then I was, I said, yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> no modesty at all. And so he said, well, have you ever heard of a group called Brainstorm? And I was like, yes. And I had their records. And I used to play along with their, because the string parts on that album were killing. And so he invited me to a rehearsal. And um, they added me to the band. And they wanted me to go out on the road with them. And I had to beg and plead my mother. And she wouldn't let me go on the first tour they were opening up. They were opening for the Jacksons. That's before Michael left the group, and it was wow. just, it was still the Jacksons. She, was, I was so heartbroken. But the band convinced her after that that they would they would look after me and blah blah blah. And she finally let me go. Well, during the summer, um, my you know my teachers, a couple of them said, as long as you have your work in, so I maybe leave on a Thursday and come be back in school on Monday. As long as I kept open with my work, they were they were fine with me missing. So, so that was like my first touring um, was when I was in high school. How old were you exactly? Sixteen. Wow. Wonder <laughs> why your mother had a fit. Oh yeah. About you going on tour at sixteen, <laughs> in the middle of your high school career with some group. Right, and just how you just said that, that has to stand, because she's like, with some group, just the way you said it, it's like somebody's mama, because she just, <laughs> she just had all these ideas of, of what, you know, the musician's life was. If you weren't in a symphony orchestra and you were playing anything else and out here playing, it was, you know, you were doing drugs and drinking, and, you know, it's like the den of sins. 
Many believe that the violin and other string instruments are strictly for air fingers, quote unquote, classical music. And clearly, you and I and a lot of other people know that isn't true. Um, Who are some of the people, in addition to those that you named already, who mentored you and encouraged you to build in this fairly uncharted world of jazz and the violin? Well, you know, first I want to say, it's so interesting when you say classical because a lot of times I'll do I'll do clinics with string players and you know we're doing improvisation and I'll have so many parents say to me, "Well, shouldn't my child, you know, study classical music first, isn't it?" And I'm like, "Who?" And I always say to them, "Who's classical music?" And they always look at me funny and I'm like, "Well, you know, there are a lot of classical musics that exist in other cultures, not just European classical music." And I said, "You know, and I know I know, and it might not be a classical music, it might be their folk music, but I look at the Irish fiddlers, and they just, they can get around their instrument and do some technical stuff. So my point was, is that, you know, a, a lot of different cultures have their own classical music. So I... In violin, you know, when we look at the history of violin, we look at the history of a lot of different instruments. You know, um, violin is a very Western um, instrument, but, you know, you can trace in every culture, again, has had an instrument that the violin could be related to. Uh, You look at the Ganji fiddle music from West Africa, the Ndingide out of Uganda, it just goes there's there's bowed string instruments that have been in in that have existed way before you know um western western classical european music so or european classical i should say so uh yeah yeah every culture i'm it just it just made me think about um some of the uh Middle Eastern orchestras I've seen where they and they play all the microtones and notes that we that don't even exist in our in our our system our world and it's just so beautiful to hear a whole orchestra playing that and just and 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 it's a symphony orchestra they're playing they're great they're great composers and it's their classical music so there's it's just everywhere and you think about almost every music you hear on the planet has some sort of string instrument um involved you know but some of the people that that well my mother was a my mother was my rock you know um and i'd have to say i had master classes when i was really young at the music school with um i remember Isaac Perlman came through a couple of times and then when I was in high school with the cuz the teacher changed and he was the one that would give me grief about playing jazz and uh we had my quartet had a master class with Yehudi Menuhin and my teacher said oh yeah she wants to play jazz and he picked up his violin and played a jazz lick and he just said leave her alone I never forgot that and you know he's recorded some some records with uh Stefan Grappelli and uh just some other musicians he he loved jazz he loved music and um so that was huge for me uh, Marcus Belgrade, though, great trumpeter from Detroit, was a huge uh, mentor in my life. You know, I, I, it's so funny. But when I, I have to say, when I transferred back, when I transferred to Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, when I transferred there, went to the band director who was Marvin Doc Holliday, uh, who had played with Diz and a bunch of other folks, and I said to him, 
I, I want to play jazz and I play violin. He was like, okay, well, you're going to sit in the saxophone section and you're going to blah, blah, blah and breathe. One. It, like he didn't even bat an eye that I played violin, whereas before that, you know, no one knew what to do with me. Or they'd say, there's no such thing as jazz violin, and I'd have to school them on all these people that had come way before me. And so that was, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm in the right place. And playing in the big band and the thing about, you know, some of the uh, cats that had graduated already from OU would come up and play with the band to help us out. Marcus came up all the time and hung out and helped us and gave classes. And so Marcus had a summer camp, which was in his house, and a bunch of us would go to his house. And in the summer, we might go over there every day, and, and he'd teach us about, you know, you know, being in a band, running a band, playing, playing solos, all, everything. And and then he'd take us on gigs with him to play. So, and so many people came through Marcus. You know, and you think back, uh, the late Jerry Allen, Mary Hayden, Kenny Garrett, Rodney Whitaker. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on for, for you know, forever. Yes. So he was a, he was a, a mentor, uh, Lyman Woodard, the organist, was a mentor, Ken Cox. Um, and then, you know, I had my, my, my sisters in jazz. I had Marion Hayden, uh, Galen McKinney, Alina Mora, and um, at the time it was Mickey Braden who started that group. Mickey Braden is straight ahead. So, you know, I had my sisters in jazz, had Carla. Just it, Detroit, the scene was a thriving jazz scene. And, you know, the folks in Detroit, they know their music and they're serious about their music and they will let you know about it. So, and it's so beautiful because they do know it uh, and, and they will come out and support you. So I just felt like I had such an incredible, incredibly strong foundation coming out of Detroit. And, and not only that, it's interesting, something that I learned that I didn't know I learned, um, which was how, how to be treated or how not how yeah what not to accept i'll put it that way as far as how someone treated me and because of the way those musicians treated me i i knew when i would i would meet somebody or go to play with someone or go to sit in when something wasn't right i knew when i first got to new york it was like mm, no that person has issues i don't want to be around them because i i came from such a positive and strong city and working with musicians that I knew. You've always seemed to do things different, whether it was making the transition to transfer from the New England Conservatory of Music to Oakland University or making the move from teaching um, in the Detroit Public Schools Community District, as it's now called, uh, and moving to Germany or breaking barriers, continuing to break barriers with the violin. Can you talk about what it takes to be able to make those type of decisions for yourself in spite of what the status quo says? You just, you have to be really clear and listen to your gut. And I think, I I think a lot of times it's not, it's not as simple as, oh, I think I want to do this. It's that, it's that the calling comes, the universe says, this is where you're, you need to be. It's like a, it's a, it's this tugging that you can't ignore. At least that's how it was for me. Um, 
And it's so interesting. I, I have to go back to Patrice Russian today said, you know, you have to figure out your why. Why are you doing something? Why? And find your truth. And so, and, 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 I, and I say, you know, we don't know that things are going to work out when we do them. You know, people say, oh, I might fail. And it's like, well, but failure, failure is a positive thing. Failure is, is a part, is an important part of success. Because when we fail at something, we realize, we learn from it. Oh, I could have done this, or I should have done, or I could have reacted. And you have that opportunity. It might not be the same opportunity, but it's a lesson. It teaches you. Um, it's like when you're taking a test, a training online, and you know, you take the little test after after chapter one or whatever, and you miss so many, and it says you have to go back and take it. That you know, in life we might call that a fail. Well, it's like no, we're going, we're going to go through that again to make sure we really have comprehended all the information, and then we can move forward. So it's not to get bent out of shape when something, when it seems like a failure, but it's like okay, let me take a look at this, and what could I have done and then take that information and go forward. The dangerous thing is when we don't uh when we don't look at it at what happened or we want to blame someone else. Um yeah, that's the, the so so the thing for me is that any move I've made it's been because it's been such a strong it's it's been a loud calling that just says you you're going to do this now. And as crazy as it would seem, I remember I, I, when I said, oh, I'm going to move to Germany after blah, blah, blah. And even some of my teachers were like, oh, she's just talking. And, you know, it didn't matter to me that they thought that because I knew that that's what I was going to do because I had to do it. That's the only – it's like it's, you had that thing in the, you that if you try to avoid it, it just gets louder and louder and louder. Mm, you mentioned a few good points. Uh, one was trusting your gut, mm-hmm. trusting that inner voice, that intuition. Another was not being afraid to fail mm-hmm. and taking those what we consider failures as learning moments and observing how we can improve upon what we may not have done as well as we would have liked to. And the third point was not caring what people think about the decisions that you're going to make that, you know, based on that intuition and that inner feeling, that gut feeling are best for you. How do you encourage people to tap into what is all already there that they don't utilize that gets buried by the outside noise? Well, like I said, one is is being quiet and 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 listening, and trusting. It's just like when you, my mother used to say, when we take those tests in school, she goes, if you don't know the answer, go with your first, your first instinct, whatever you your comes to mind that you think is the right answer, and don't change it, because that's usually the right answer, you know. Um, and the thing is, is is surrounding. We have to surround ourselves with people that are striving for similar greatness, you know, that we are, it might not be in the same thing, but they're, they're striving and have a goal 
towards something because you're going to feed off of their energy, they're going to feed off of yours. If you're around people that are you know, like uh, that like to blame other people for what they don't have, get away from them. Um, because, I, I, you know, there's room for all of us. We're all on our own individual journey. And, you know, if we keep paying attention to what someone else is doing, we're missing all the beauty that's happening, all the gifts that we have. We're missing all those opportunities because we're so busy paying attention to what that person over there is doing or what they got and saying, oh, it's not fair that they got blah, blah, blah. It's like, yeah, that's their journey. Yes, they're getting it because that's their journey, you know, not, not, not yours. So I think really surrounding yourself with really positive people and people that are working towards something is really important. I know that education is big to you, teaching others and, and passing on your um, knowledge and wisdom with others. And, and matter of fact, you've been teaching in the Jerry Allen Jazz Camp this right. week, which you're the artistic director of. Talk about the importance of teaching the next generation and music education. Well, you know, the camp was started by Jerry um, almost 10 years ago, I think. Um, and she felt it was formally called the New Jersey Performing Arts Center All-Female Camp. And after she passed and um, I stepped into the role of artistic director, I, um, we asked her family if we could, we could uh, change the name in honor of her um, and, and what her mission. And because she also came through Marcus just mentoring other people. But what's special about this camp, it, 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 it's uh, for young, young musicians who are serious about working on their craft, uh, identifying as, as women or, and non-binary. So it's very important to pass this music on. You know, it's our music. So we're we're the we're the keepers of the of the flame, and we have to pass it on. And not all of these students are going to be professional jazz musicians. Some of them will be teachers. Some of them will uh, be uh, sound engineers. Some will be um, our audience members. Some will sit on board boards, you know, and 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 speak up when money needs to go uh, to 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 a to a music department or a jazz department. So, and having this experience is really going to benefit them. And, and in turn, it benefits us, the artists. So we've talked about a lot. We've talked about your journey and, and that inner voice and music education. What's next? What, what concerts or workshops? I know that I, I just saw that you're doing a multi-style string symposium for string right. educators that's coming up and it's in person. Yes. And that's in Jersey city, New Jersey, um, at the New Jersey city university. Um, and, and educators, teachers can get uh, credit for that. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And then, um, I'll be starting back in the fall. I, I teach us uh, improvisation class for string, for you know, classical string players, at Manhattan School of Music. Um, and then I'm, I'm working on a project, and so I have, you know, I have all these other things in the fire, and I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to carve time out to work on this project that I started working on. It's a continuation of the project Black Bottom, which I per- performed in Detroit, and it was commissioned by Lincoln Center. Uh, many years ago, but it's um, dealing with how the uh, Highway Act 
um, destroyed so many black communities where they built highways through black communities and Mm -hmm. destroyed their businesses and homes and communities and oftentimes did not compensate them. And so I, I thought originally it had only happened in Detroit. And then uh, I started talking to other people and hearing that it, it, it happened almost in every urban city across the United States. And so I, I started writing music and, 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 and just, Continu- continuing to do research, so that's my um, that's my next project. It's important to tell that story and to shed light on that story of how highways definitely disrupted in a major way. The and Af- it was yeah, and it was done purposely. Yeah, so. intentionally. How yeah. yeah, how highways have intentionally disrupted the lives of African-Americans in urban communities. Well, I know that you have had an incredibly long day. I am so grateful for your time and stopping by (laughs) to talk with me or stopping by. I shouldn't say stopping by, picking up the phone and... um, (laughs) It's the new stopping by. (laughs) Right, this picking up the phone is the new stopping by, folks. (laughs) Uh, Picking up the phone and sharing your time, your wisdom, your knowledge and your heart on live with C sharp with our WRCJ listener. I thoroughly appreciate you. I've of course always looked up to you and you continue to inspire me. Uh, Well, I appreciate that. Thank you. And you are out here doing it and have been doing it. And I have much respect for your tenacity and your work ethic and just always wanting to, to give back to the community and you've been doing it from such a very young age. Um, And thank you for having me.